0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Karen Miller, and I'm on staff here at Church of the Valley. It is my privilege and pleasure to be with you here this morning. This morning, we're going to be talking about freedom from fear. So I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have ever felt afraid? Raise your hand. Okay, thank you. How many of you have ever felt afraid or anxious in the last month, and you're willing to admit it? raise your hand. Okay. All right. So, since most of us struggle with fear at various points in our lives, this is an important topic. Fear is a normal reaction that warns us to be careful. Anxiety is a type of fear dealing more with worry about the future. So, that's just an important distinction. When fear and anxiety become a pattern in our lives, they become a problem. This morning I will be talking about fear, but I'm really addressing both worry and anxiety as well. So I used to teach Sunday school for about 10 years, and periodically we'd get to this lesson about fear. And if you ask kids what they are afraid of, they will tell you things like, I'm afraid of spiders, or snakes, or the dark, and that's about as much as they are able to articulate. But what are adults afraid of? So I was curious. All right. So in the U.S. or even globally, I wondered, what are the top five fears for adults? So I looked up a couple studies, and this is what I learned. All right. Number one fear is the fear of death. And you know what? Rightly so. When you see somebody lowered into a coffin in the grave, you know this isn't the way it was supposed to be. We weren't built for it, and there is fear. If we love it all, we will be, it'll be an extremely traumatic, wrenching experience. If you go back to Genesis 3, it's part of the curse of sin. So many of us fear death. Number two, fear of rejection. And we get afraid, right, if people get to know us, like really know us, um, that they're going to reject us and not want to spend time with us. Third fear is the fear of the future. So perhaps right now my life feels out of control, or I'm afraid of what's coming up, or I don't like what's coming up, or I don't know what's coming up, right? There's all sorts of fear around fear of the future. All right, the fourth one isn't for everybody, but it is the fear of public speaking. And that's something that used to honestly terrify me. Um, So I get that one. And then the last top five fear is the fear of failure. So what does our culture say is the answer to fear? All right? If I'm just out on the street, how am I going to get over my fears? So I'm going to show you a funny clip. Uh, many of you have seen it before. Uh, it's a Bob Newhart clip. So here we go. Well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has 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 anyone ever ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no. But truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what what you're saying is you're uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh yes, yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm. Uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I-, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop Stop it! <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully you realize that comedian Bob Newhart's prescribed method for dealing with fear isn't super effective or helpful. But if you Google freedom from fear on the internet, here are some things I found. All right. So how are we going to get over our fears according to the internet? All right. Number one, positive thinking. And you've heard this before. You don't focus on your fears, but you go to your happy place and you just think about your happy place. Or kind of similarly, number two, you imagine handling your fear in a constructive way. So let me give you an example. You're afraid of flying and then you picture yourself. You're walking confidently onto the airplane. You're chatting with the people next to you. You're enjoying the beverage service. You get it right? So you're imagining a constructive way. Number three, take deep breaths. See, already feel better. And number four, go for a walk in nature. Now, some of these may be helpful as temporary fixes, but most of them don't actually get us freedom from the deep-rooted fears in our lives. Before we get to our scripture this morning, and we will get there, I want us to consider one more thing. There are two kinds of fears. The first are healthy fears, and these are fears that are specific and constructive. For example, imagine you're in a crosswalk and you see a car speeding toward you. Fear drives you to run and get out of the way. Or your child is at the top of a play structure and is about to take a nosedive and you move into high gear to make sure he or she is safe. That kind of fear helps you summon up your deepest capacities to protect. The thing you know is important, and that kind of fear moves you into helpful action. Now, there's another kind of fear on the other far end of the spectrum, and there's this guy named Rollo May who was a minister and then received his PhD in psychology. So he taught psychology at a bunch of top universities and he wrote a bunch of books. And he describes a deeper, unhealthy, debilitating kind of fear. He says, these fears consume you and are always there. They make you unable to act or make a decision. They are like a cold drizzle, 34 degrees and raining all the time. This kind of fear, you can't really say specifically what it's about. You can't put your mind on it. You're always agitated or nervous, sort of upset and restless. It's the kind of stuff that gives you ulcers or high blood pressure or insomnia. All right, well, we don't want that kind of fear, and we do want freedom from that kind of fear. So now we're going to turn to scripture to see how God frees us from that unhelpful fear. We're going to be looking at a psalm of David this morning. To completely understand the psalm, we need to understand the background. How many of you remember the story of when David fled from Absalom, his son? Okay, great. Thank you. Put up your hand. Excellent. Well, if you don't remember, uh, no worries. David's son, Absalom, decided that he would stand on the road by the city gate and wait for those who were seeking justice from the king. But then he would tell them, oh, there's no one to hear your case. But if he were appointed judge, then there would be justice in the land. And he did this over a number of years. And eventually, Absalom deceived many in Israel, claimed he, not his father David, would be the one to bring justice. And the Bible tells us he stole Israel's hearts. And after all those years, he rose up and actually started a coup attempt. He had himself declared king, and David was left with no alternative but to flee into the wilderness for his life. David was deposed as king, and there was this large army after him to literally imprison and kill him. You can find this story in 2 Samuel 15-18. through All right, so here's the psalm he wrote before, uh, actually, as he's fleeing out into the wilderness. Psalm 3, 1 through 8. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. What David's doing here is he's praying his fears. As David prays his fears, God moves them out of fear and into a place of hope and trust. So we're going to look at this morning about how David does that. So the first thing David does is he names his fears. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. In his prayer, David names his fear of his foes and the taunts against him and his God. It is the opposite of stuffing or denying your fears. And often when we feel anxious or afraid, we just have this sort of vague sense that things are uncertain, that our security is somehow gone. It's hard to address things that are so vague or nebulous. So it can be helpful to pray or write down and be specific about your fears. Since I started preparing for this sermon, believe it or not, back in March, I've discovered I'm afraid or anxious more than I think. And praying through this psalm, Psalm 3, and praying through my fears has been a great source of freedom and encouragement and peace. All right. Once you specifically name your fears, then you want to look to God and his character. Let's look at Psalm 3, verse 3. We're going to spend a lot of time on this one verse. It says, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. And remember, any time you hear those words, But you, O Lord, but God, those words should always give us hope. What do we know about God's character that's going to help us with our fear? David talks about three specific aspects of God's character that will help him and they will help us. So the first part for David, he says, you are a shield, not for me, not to me, but around me. So we're not talking about the little defensive shield that you put on your arm, you know, for hand-to-hand combat. We're talking about the big one, the size of a door that wraps around you. And you only use this kind of shield when you're following your general to go besiege a fortress. All right, and it looks like this. So you only use this kind of shield when you're going into danger. You're not fleeing from danger, you're walking into danger. And they might do things like, if you've watched a picture of Lord of the Rings, you know, pour hot lava on you or throw a two-ton boulder on your head. That's when you need this kind of shield. So David's not saying, I'm scared, but I know you won't let bad things happen to me. No, he's actually saying, I'm scared, but I know you often take me into scary situations. Your shielding, your protection only works going forward only works when I'm obeying you, only works when I'm actually following you. And I know no matter how bad things are, you're going to somehow work good things in my life. You're going to shield me. So here's our first point about God's character. God is our shield and the one who protects us as we follow him. One more time, God is our shield and the one who protects us as we follow him. So listen, if you're a Christian and obeying God at this moment, anything bad that's happening to you is part of his shielding for you. It means even a bad thing that's happening to you now, even a pain is actually part of something God is doing to protect you. And you might be thinking, what do you mean, Karen? How is God protecting me in this uh, so if God lets you get hurt today, it's because He's trying to save you from a greater hurt tomorrow. He's trying to wake you up now with some kind of pain now to keep you from a greater pain. Let me give you an example. I watched a bunch of people in my life suffering from cancer. Some cancers are treatable, some are terminal. It's always scary. My neighbor, who was constantly just dealing with a lot of fear in her life of all sorts of things, she received Jesus as her Lord and Savior after her diagnosis of terminal cancer. And it wasn't instantaneous, but over the weeks and months of meeting together, I watched her fears just dissipate. They melted away, and she actually had joy in the midst of a really difficult cancer as she got to know Jesus. She wasn't afraid to die because she knew where she was going, and she was certain God would take care of her husband and her two kids. The initial pain of terminal cancer protected her from the greater pain of eternal life without our loving God. If you run, which we're so tempted to do when we're afraid, not walk into that scary thing, that shield is of no help when you're running No help when you're giving up. No help when you're disobeying the orders of your general. The Bible says obedience to God can be very hard because it'll often take us to places we don't understand. Obedience can be very, very hard, but disobedience is lethal. It's been said one ounce of disobedience can hurt me more than 10 tons of pain and suffering. So I'm going forward. Okay, we remember God is our shield, our protector, and as we move forward in faith with him, then we go on to the next part of verse 3. We find our glory, our security, our value in Christ. Psalm 3.3 again, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Tim Keller says this, he says, fear and anxiety come when, you, when something that you have put your real security in, something that made you feel in control, something that made you feel like you had an identity, that is being eaten away at. When we put our glory, our hope, our value, our security in something instead of God, we get into trouble. And we all have life rafts. Things we cling to so that we don't sink. And these are our security blankets. We have these security zones in all facets of life. Finance, health, relationships, just to name a few. So instead of God being our security blanket, we make these new things our security blanket. For example, if money makes you feel secure and comfortable, then you might fear the loss of it. If your children are your security, if they're doing well is your security, then your fears will surround your children. And if you're in a career where you have to perform well and you have to do better than your competitors, then your fears surround that. Our fears surround our idols. All right, remember that, but we're going to go back to our scripture and think about this concept with David. Why is David afraid? Because the things he's built his identity on, the things he's built his security on, were taken away. What are those things? If you go back to our top five list of current fears, David faces four of them all at the same time. Number one, fear of death. He is afraid for his life. People want to kill him. Number two, fear of rejection. His country may have rejected him and chosen his son instead. Number three, fear of the future. He is currently on the run, unsure of who is for him or against him. He's left Jerusalem. There is no certainty in his future. And the last one, number four, fear of failure. He was a very popular king, not anymore. And if he thought he was a good father, well, that illusion's kind of over. If we locate our glory, our security, our value on tangible things, we will be filled with anxiety when those things are removed. We need to relocate our glory and we need to get new help. It's not their approval. It's God's approval. That's my glory, your glory. It's not serving them. It's serving God. It's not their love. It's God's love. Church, do you know who God says you are? Because Jesus paid your debt and died in your place and rose again, if you trust and believe in what Jesus did for you, here's who God says you are. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, and 5. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power you are loved by god you are chosen by god let that sink in to the depth of your heart ephesians 1 4 and 5 in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through jesus christ in accordance with his pleasure and will you are an adopted into god's family and that has a zillion implications one is that you always have access to the father You have a new family. He's going to care for you, provide for you, protect you. And last one, there's a lot, but 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorites. (laughs) Therefore, if anyone is a new Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. You are a new creation. You are not defined by your sin. If you have a secure future in Christ who loves you and gave his life for you, This is where our security comes from. This is where our glory comes from. Focus on that. All right, here's the second thing about God I want you to remember. God is our glory. He is the only one who gives us security and value that can't be lost. All right, believe it or not, we're still on verse 3, and we're continuing to think about God's character. When David says, you're the lifter in my head, what does that mean? Here's what David is saying. As great as it was to have the love of my family, I don't have it. The love of my people, I don't have it. The knowledge that I was a good king, I don't have that. The political power to do what I want, I don't have that. Loss after loss, But even though they're gone, I don't need to be downcast and discouraged. Why because his hope for the future rests in God's love, grace, and mercy. Let me say that again. His hope for the future rests in God's love, grace, and mercy. God is the only one who will lift his head, our head, and move us out of despair. All right, quick review. As, God, as David prays his fears, he names his fears, And then he remembers aspects of God's character that get his focus off of his fears and back on to God. Let's move on to verse 4. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. So now David cries out to God and God answers him. We don't know what David said to God. We don't know what God said to David. We, but what we do know is that for David, this was not a one-time thing. He often cried out to God. Psalm fifty-five, seventeen 17 says, "'Evening, morning and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice.'" He rescues me unharmed from the battle that wages against me, even though many oppose me. In Psalm 34, 6, the poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. Crying out to God may not seem like an effective way to handle our fears. We fear that God won't hear us. We fear we won't like the answer we get. But David is at peace. He's at peace. He can sleep. God himself is sustaining him. He is no longer afraid. The verb tense in verse 5 imply that the peace is present. It's an ongoing reality. He has a pattern of crying out to God and moving to a place of peace and living with the absence of fear because he knows God will love him and sustain him no matter what life throws at him. Here's the third thing I want you to know about God. God is our sustainer, the one who sees us through hard times. Sometimes we're newer in the faith and we don't really know God well enough to trust in God's character like David did. Remember, so David had faced numerous life-threatening situations where David cried out and God intervened and helped. Think about it. Facing Goliath, running for his life from Saul over a long period of time, battling numerous enemies, committing adultery and murder, and fearing God would leave him, just for starters. Our faith grows over time as we learn to trust God. So what do we do if we're at the beginning of our journey? We're going to take a quick look at Jesus' disciples early in their faith faith, and see how they dealt with fear. This is Mark four thirty six through 41. Leaving the crown behind, they took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, "'Quiet, be still.' Then the the winds died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, "'Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith?' They were terrified and asked each other, "'Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him.'" Unfortunately, a lot of us operate like the disciples. We intellectually know God is there to help, but in reality, we act like he's asleep in the boat, that he's not there to help us when life storms come our way. We don't trust that he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. We think he doesn't care or he's powerless to help us in our situation, but all we need to do is cry out to him. He's both loving and powerful and can intervene in our lives in ways we can't imagine. My sister and I were talking about this passage, and I love what she said. She said, Jesus always knows how to get you safely to where he wants you to go. So when you are in the storm, can you hear God saying to you the same words that the Isaiah the prophet wrote? Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, I am with you, and do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. David trusted God would sustain him and help him. He showed that trust by calling out to God and putting his life in God's loving hands. Before any of the circumstances have changed, David is is at peace. Let's look at the last two verses. Psalm 3, 7 and 8. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Notice it's now that, God, that David actually requests something of God. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, deal with my enemies, Those are the only requests in the entire prayer. And then it seems in the next verse that the battle's already won. God's delivered him and already dealt with his enemies. Now, God's deliverance can take a variety of form. It doesn't mean that the trial immediately goes away. So if you read 2 Samuel 15 through 18, which records this time in David's life, you see God intervening in the smallest of details. God provides a large number of troops for David. Twice God provides food for David and his men as they're fleeing through the wilderness. God provides spies who report back on Absalom's plans and allow them to flee to a safe location. God provides a man to confuse the counsel of Absalom so that Absalom acts foolishly in battle. Absalom himself gets stuck in a tree and becomes an easy target. His heir actually gets stuck in the tree. And though David did not wish for his son to die, once Absalom is killed, the battle is over and there's no further loss of life. In the end, David is restored to the throne of God and regains the trust of the people. Did you know that God has already dealt with our enemies? Death Satan, sin, and the world. Second Timothy 1:10 tells us that Jesus destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Colossians 1:15 tells us that at the cross, Satan and his spiritual forces were disarmed. Satan has no power over us. He was defeated at the cross. And Jesus freed us from the power of sin, and we can have victory in Christ. And our last enemy, the world? which can throw all sorts of terrifying things our way, including pandemics, job losses, sickness, death, relational loss, financial trouble, the list goes on. To that, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So here's our last point about God's character that's going to help us with our fears. God is our deliverer, the one who rescues us from all our enemies. That is great news. So throughout my life, I've endured seasons of fear. Before I really knew Christ in my teens and early 20s, I had a lot of relational fears. I was good at school and at swimming, but I had very little confidence in my personality and sometimes or often even feared social situations. I often feared I wouldn't know what to say or that people wouldn't like me, and there's other fears around that. Uh, But even after I came to Christ, I didn't know God well enough to know how to move out of fear. I went through a six-month season where I was pretty sick and the doctors weren't able to help me, and I feared dying. And after I got my master's degree in education and I was looking for a job as a teacher— actually feared getting that job. I feared being a failure at the very thing God was calling me to do. And that led to a year-long battle with the Lord. Throughout my 20s, I wanted to be married. Thankfully, God eventually bought me an amazing husband, but none of my romantic relationships worked out at that time. I feared loneliness and not being loved. These were big fears that characterized months and even years of my life. And the fears often did kind of run like wallpaper in the back of my mind, always present and robbing me of joy. I still get afraid. Sometimes familiar fears creep back in. But like David, I'm learning to turn to God more quickly. I'm learning to pray through my fears and remember how God protects, provides, sustains, and delivers. 1 John 4.8 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We often think the opposite of fear is courage. In some ways that's true, but really the opposite of fear is faith or trust. And we get, when we get how much God loves us, we can trust him. Then when we have to make decisions as we walk through the storms and battles of life, we don't have to make decisions out of fear, but we can make decisions in trust and in the wisdom of the Lord. That trust is something that we practice day by day. Remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 33 and 34. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If you are a person that is worried and anxious about the future, this is a great verse. Put it on your fridge, put it on your mirror, and then like David, learn to put your trust in God one day at a time. I want to leave you this morning with the words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples on the night before he was to be betrayed and crucified. John 14, 26 and 27. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are our shield, our glory, our protector, our sustainer, our provider. I thank you, God, that you deliver us from every fear And I pray, God, that as we learn to turn to you and cry out to you, God, that we will experience that freedom, that peace, and we'll be just overwhelmed with love and gratitude for the ways that you intervene in our lives. We're so grateful for your loving care. And we pray all this in your precious son's name. Amen.